Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS News Roundup ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, the Biden administration announces new policies affecting nearly half a million migrants as border crossings soar. There are people who have no place to go. The United Auto Workers strike gets bigger, sparking fears for the economy record profits year after year that we read in the news, but we don't get record contracts. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key's segment, a shelter for the unhoused in El Paso struggles to handle the flow of migrants. We're operating about 40, 45 percent over capacity. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. It's been a busy week on the immigration front as illegal border crossings rise to near record levels. Border agents apprehended some 140,000 migrants along the U.S.-Mexico border in the first 20 days in September. The Biden administration says it is sending 800 active duty troops to help. It also said it would grant nearly half a million migrants temporary protected status, allowing them to live and work legally in the U.S. for 18 months. CBS's immigration reporter Camilo Montoya Galvez begins our team coverage. The Biden administration is offering more than 400,000 Venezuelans who are already in the U.S. the chance to live and work here legally under the temporary protected status program. This is a policy that dates back to 1990 that allows the federal government, Allison, to grant temporary work permits and deportation protections to migrants from countries experiencing a crisis such as an armed conflict or a natural disaster. And as you know, Venezuela for the past few years has been experiencing political and economic instability, and millions of people have fled that country in recent years as well. So this will allow Venezuelans who arrived in the U.S. before July 31st to get this status. And that is very important, Allison, because it will not benefit new arrivals. Venezuelans who come to the border, let's say tomorrow or the day after, will not qualify for this relief. And at the same time, the administration is sending more troops to the border, right, because there's been such a spike in people coming over? Yes. While the number of illegal border crossings dropped to a two-year low in June, Allison, they have since sharply increased in the recent weeks. We are now seeing an average of eight to 9,000 migrants cross the U.S.-Mexico border on a daily basis. That is a daily rate that we have not seen since May of this year, just before the administration was discontinuing those Title 42 pandemic restrictions on migration. So these are near record levels of migration that we're seeing now. And the administration is very concerned in response to that spike in crossings. The administration is dispatching those additional 
active duty troops to assist Border Patrol agents, and they're also ramping up deportations, including by expanding this program, Allison, that requires certain families to comply with, with this curfew and to wear ankle monitors while officials determine whether they should be allowed to seek asylum or whether they should be deported from the country. Briefly, Camila, what's the reaction from some of the cities who had been asking for something like this and Republicans who I think are not pleased? Well, yeah, big city Democrats in New York and other cities like Chicago and Denver that have really struggled, Allison, to house tens of thousands of migrants over the past year have been calling at the administration for months to grant migrants legal status so they can apply for work permits earlier on in the process and thus stop relying on local services such as the local shelter systems. So this TPS announcement, this expansion of the temporary protective status program is a big victory for those blue city states and cities. But The issue here, too, is that Republicans believe, Allison, that this expansion of this temporary protective status program will encourage more Venezuelans to come here to the U.S. illegally. So they have criticized this announcement. The administration, however, has argued that by setting a July 31st cutoff date for this program, that will discourage more Venezuelans to come to the border. That's CBS's Camila Montoya Galvez. CBS's Manuel Bajorquez, reporting from Juarez, Mexico, has been speaking with migrants making the perilous journey. The majority of the people we came across are from Venezuela, and we witnessed their desperation, enough of it for them to try to cross rivers holding children and dodge barbed wire. Some are pulled through. Others crawl under this barbed wire fence with one goal, asylum on U.S. soil. Thousands of migrants have waded through the dangerous Rio Grande and entered the city of Eagle Pass, Texas. But not everyone makes it. Officials say they've recovered two drowning victims this week, including a three-year-old child. Still more are willing to take the risk. We went into Juarez, Mexico, where this group of migrants from Venezuela used tree limbs to cross a river. Sometimes they fall in, and it's been uh, you know, difficult really to watch when they have to handle children, uh, babies, and try to uh, keep them safe, literally handing them over to somebody who plucks them over to the other side. They say they are fleeing political persecution or poverty. So as a nurse in Venezuela, you make $50 a month. That's not enough for you to make a living. But we saw some turned away. We just noticed this group being pushed back into Mexico. They told me, they were told this was not a point of entry where they could turn themselves into Border Patrol and ask for asylum. U.S. Customs and Border Protection agents say the recent sharp increase in crossings is due in part to cartels seeking a profit, luring migrants who pay to cross with the promise of a better life. These cartels are very good at what they do. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. They're focusing on migrants and the disinformation that they're feeding migrants to fuel that profit stream. The Venezuelans we spoke with will not be eligible for temporary protected status and expedited work permits announced by the Biden administration this week because they did not enter the country before July 31st. But they tell me, given what they've left behind, what they are fleeing, it is still worth trying to seek asylum here. 
President Biden Friday announced the creation of the first ever White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. The president has said gun violence is an epidemic. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says the president has long supported gun control. You know, when you hear stats of uh, guns uh, being the number one killer of kids, that is something that Uh, we should really be mindful to and do something about that. Among other things, this new office will work with communities devastated by mass shootings. Linda Kenyon, CBS News, Washington. Turning now to a cautionary tale about a company's taste in names. Oh, I'd love to be an Oscar Mayer wiener. Remember when Oscar Mayer mustered up the idea to change the name of the Wienermobile to the Frankmobile? Let me catch you up. Four months ago, the Kraft Heinz company wanted to get the word out that their Franks were 100% beef and they had a new recipe, so they wanted to relish the moment. But people weren't on board and the company got grilled for it. So now they're changing the name of the iconic hot dog on wheels back to what it was always called, the Wienermobile, which frankly is so much better. Stacy Lynn, CBS News. Coming up, has climate change reached biblical proportions? That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. On Friday, the United Auto Workers strike expanded as the union president called for staffers in 20 states to walk off the job. CBS's Chris Van Cleve with the latest. Union strike! Union strike! Thousands more auto workers are joining the picket lines. Reinforcements are coming. The union's president, Sean Fain, says negotiations with Ford are moving in the right direction, but that's not the case with General Motors and Chrysler parent Stellantis. All of the parts distribution facilities at General Motors and Stellantis are being called to stand up and strike. That includes about 5,600 workers from 38 locations across 20 states. They'll join the nearly 13,000 workers at three Midwest plants who kicked off the strike last week. When you lose production at those plants, that's when things at General Assemblies go down. That's when, uh, you know, the whole system falls apart. So this is a huge escalation in terms of work stoppage. Striking union members say they're in it for the long haul. We'll take as long as we have to. If they're willing to come back and negotiate, we'll be ready at any time. Automakers have seized on what appear to be some leaked messages outlining the union strategy obtained by the Detroit News here in town that seem to indicate the union is planning for a long and costly strike. Automakers say the strike's ripple effects force temporary layoffs of roughly 3,000 others whose work depends on the closed plants. Now, with the strike expanding, those kinds of ripple effects are expected to increase. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Wayne, Michigan. 
Some of those ripple effects could mean bad news for consumers. CBS's Bradley Blackburn explains. At Central Avenue Jeep in Yonkers, New York, the lot is packed with new cars. But dealer Jonathan Grant says a sustained strike by United Auto Workers could change that. I'm afraid if the strike lasts very long, it, it, it could really impact our availability. And that would affect your bottom line? Yes, it would. The plant that builds the popular Wrangler is currently shut down. If it goes beyond 60 or 90 days or grows to other plants, I think the impact could be much more severe. A lack of supply could lead to higher prices for new cars. Dealers are concerned about more than just inventory on the lot. The strikes could also impact availability of replacement parts for service. As a dealer, we get a nightly delivery of parts. Tom Maoli owns Celebrity Ford in New Jersey and worries those deliveries could end in the coming weeks if the strike continues. We could have the brakes in stock, but if we don't have a spring that that's needed in the brake pads, we can't finish the job and we can't get your car on the road. Maoli says if he can't fix cars and doesn't have vehicles to sell, he may need to lay off employees. The automakers are also laying off workers, impacting local businesses. If you have less money to spend, you're going to really hold on to what you have. And that reduction in spending could curb economic growth in those local communities. Experts say the strike could have an impact on the entire U.S. economy if it continues into next year. Bradley Blackburn, CBS News, Yonkers, New York. Now to the nation's capital, where Congress faces a September 30th deadline to pass a spending bill or the government will shut down. But there's no consensus among House Republicans as some on the right don't like the way this is happening. CBS's Natalie Brand. Most members of the U.S. House left the Capitol for the weekend, even though they have just days left to reach and pass a spending deal to keep the government open. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy expressed his frustration after hard-right Republicans, for a second time, blocked debate on a bill to fund the Pentagon. This is a whole new concept of individuals that just want to burn the whole place down. That doesn't work. The stalemate means Congress may have to pass a short-term continuing resolution to fund the government. But even that is facing opposition from some conservatives. We've been doing CRs for 25 years or longer, and it works the same way, lather, rinse, repeat. We should not fear a shutdown in the sense that we hurt the American people further to avoid a shutdown, which would have minimal impact if we just had a shutdown for a week or two while we're, wait, while we're getting our spending bills done. With Congress in gridlock, the Biden administration is sending notices to federal agencies to begin preparations for a possible shutdown. We still remain hopeful, although the writing's on the wall. Everett Kelly, the president of the American Federation of Government Employees, says his members are once again on edge. One paycheck, you know, uh, not arriving on time could mean, you know, hey, I got to go borrow money from somebody. I got to get in debt. You know, oh, I got to find some way to... Uh, provide food for my family. With Democrats in control of the Senate and narrow margins in both chambers, the ultimate solution will have to be bipartisan. Natalie Brand, CBS News, Capitol Hill. In Lee County, Florida, doctors are using artificial intelligence that may help predict whether a person is likely to have a heart attack. WINKTV's Amy Osher. Bob Freiberger has a family history of broken hearts. I have a sister that passed away of heart disease in her 40s. So when his cardiologist told him about a new technique that uses artificial intelligence to measure cardiovascular risk, he was all in. This uh, this new program was about to launch, and he described it to me. And I said, well, gee, I want to do that. 
It works off a CT scan that looks inside the coronary arteries. The software takes the output and applies AI analysis. Lee Health cardiologist Richard Chazal says it offers a view of the heart like nothing they've seen before. The artificial intelligence program that we're utilizing looks at plaque and it breaks it down into the types of plaque because some types of plaque are more dangerous than others. And it also measures it down to the cubic millimeter. So when we're using this AI program, we're able to say to a person, here's exactly how much plaque you have. Using computer intelligence is a big step forward. In the past, doctors might use a stress test that looked for present blockages, but it couldn't tell them where dangerous plaque was starting to form and whether it was likely to cause a heart attack in the future. We've identified a number of people that were, that were at high risk for developing a heart attack in the not too distant future. And in, in virtually every case, they were unaware of this. Bob now holds a snapshot of his heart. And, and the plaque is indicated right here. It shows he's at low risk for a heart attack, something that eases his mind. Knowing that that could be me, if I didn't know the condition of my heart, that, that gave me tremendous uh, level of comfort. We were able with Bob to sit down, uh, he and I, with his scans together and look at them and say, this is how much plaque is there, this is what level of risk this, uh, this represents, and then put together a plan based on lifestyle and some medications. It's the future of medicine, preventing problems before they become reality. There's good news now for some beloved horses and their canine companions as well. The tails on Budweiser Clydesdales will no longer be shortened using a controversial procedure that has been criticized by animal activists and was the target of PETA protests. Budweiser parent company Anheuser-Busch InBev says the change was made because the safety of the horses is a top priority. The company also says it has obtained animal welfare certification for the horses, as well as the Dalmatians that serve as their companions. Jennifer Kuiper, CBS News. Coming up, global priorities at the United Nations. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. The U.N. General Assembly is dealing with the most global crises since World War II at its annual gathering. CBS's Pamela Falk has details. The U.N. General Assembly opened this week with the world in crisis and only President Biden of the five key founding world leaders present at the debate. Not Russia's Putin or China's Xi, and this year not France's Macron or the U.K.'s Sunak, who usually attend. But the impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the devastating effects of climate change was on the front burner for the almost 200 countries who descended on the U.N. headquarters in New York. The U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres did not mince words about the floods, storms and heat that is set to make 2023 the hottest on record. Humanity has opened the gates of hell. We must make up time lost to foot dragging. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky was at the United Nations in person for the first time since the Russian invasion of 2022, with the hope of convincing the world to continue to support Ukraine's defense. The goal of the present war 
against Ukraine is to turn our lands, our people, our lives, our resources into a weapon against you, against the international rules-based order. President Biden told world leaders that it is in everyone's interest to stop Russian President Vladimir Putin's aggression. If you allow Ukraine to be carved up, is the independence of any nation secure. Ukraine's president, in his talk to the Security Council, said that the UN may not be fit for purpose to deal with the world conflicts because of its 1945 power structure. We should recognize that the UN finds itself in a deadlock on the matters of aggression. Humankind no longer pins its hopes on the UN when it comes to the defense of the sovereign borders of nations. And on most leaders' minds is the record number of people fleeing around the world because of climate and conflict, including refugees and migrants flooding the borders of the U.S. and Italy. In an exclusive one-on-one talk with CBS News on the sidelines of the General Assembly, the U.N.'s High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi, said that the U.N. is working with the U.S. and has a plan to deal with the unprecedented numbers of people fleeing to the United States to house and employ them before they reach U.S. shores. Take Mexico, for example, which is the last country of transit before people arrive in the U.S. In Mexico, we have initiated ourselves incredible programs to employ refugees that come from countries upstream so that they don't feel the need to go further because they get opportunities in Mexico with Mexico's support and agreement. The UN's high-level week continues through Tuesday, and it was clear from all the speeches and backroom meetings that everyone agrees that there are more crises than ever in the world, and the traffic may not only be where the gridlock is today. Pamela Falk, CBS News at the United Nations. There's a growing international crisis over Canada's claim that India carried out an assassination on its soil in June. Hardeep Singh Nijar was a Canadian and a prominent Sikh leader, shot dead by two masked gunmen in British Columbia this past June. The Sikhs are a religious minority in India, and Nijar was a supporter of a separate state for members of the group. His killing sparked protests by Sikhs in Canada who blamed the Indian government for his murder. Now the Canadian government has responded by expelling a senior Indian diplomat. Canadian security agencies have been actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the killing of a Canadian citizen, Hardeep Singh Nijar. India's government calls the allegations absurd and has retaliated by expelling a Canadian diplomat. Assassinations carried out by foreign governments and their agents typically draw a punitive response. The US imposed sanctions when a Saudi Arabian journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, was murdered inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey in 2018. And America also sanctioned Russia over the poisoning and attempted poisoning of the Kremlin's enemies residing in the UK, though Moscow denies any involvement. Canada's Prime Minister says the country's sovereignty is at stake. Let us remain calm and steadfast in our commitment to our democratic principles and our adherence to the rule of law. This is who we are and what we do as Canadians. There are also economic consequences to this. 
Talks have been paused on a new treaty with Canada that India hoped would boost trade by about $6 billion a year. Holly Williams, CBS News, London. The holiest day in Judaism begins on Sunday. CBS's Linda Gradstein reports from Israel. Thousands of police will be on high alert for possible attacks as Israelis celebrate Yom Kippur, which marks the most solemn day of the year when Jews fast and pray for forgiveness of their sins. In Israel, even the airspace shuts down for the 25-hour holiday and TV and radio programs go off the air. As highways are empty, children can ride their bikes everywhere, including on the main highway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Israel will also seal off the West Bank and Gaza Strip, and Palestinians are not permitted to enter Israel. Linda Gradstein for CBS News, Jerusalem. Now to a changing of a guard at one of the most influential media companies in the world. The man who changed American television and politics is stepping down. 92-year-old media magnate Rupert Murdoch announcing he'll leave his role as chair of Fox and News Corp in mid-November, becoming chair emeritus of both businesses. His son Lachlan will take the reins, part of a long-standing succession plan. But this won't be your typical retirement. In an internal memo to Fox employees obtained by CBS News, Rupert Murdoch said, In my new role, I will be watching our broadcasts with a critical eye, reading our newspapers. You can expect to see me in the office late on a Friday afternoon. Over the last 70 years, he amassed a vast media empire across Australia, Europe, and the United States, starting Fox Broadcasting Company in 1986. And 10 years later, he founded Fox News Channel, providing him an influential role in conservative politics. I've been publishing news for about 40 years, and, um, you know, a lot of fights. Murdoch's career has also been plagued by controversies. In 2016, he ousted his longtime ally, Fox News chairman and CEO Roger Ailes, amid sexual harassment and abuse allegations. Just this year, Fox paid a $787.5 million settlement in a case brought by voting machine manufacturer Dominion, after Fox News spread former President Trump's 2020 election lies. How is Lachlan different than his father, and can he maintain power in this situation? Lachlan's a bit more affable. He's, if anything, more conservative than his father. And the real question is whether he can convince his adult siblings who help run the family trust that he can do the job. Joe Kent, CBS News, Los Angeles. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys segment, a look at the migrant situation in El Paso. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys segment, where every week we discuss issues including income inequality. This time we're discussing the situation in El Paso, which is struggling with a spike in migrants crossing the border. So are many other cities, including New York. 
The Biden administration said this week that it will grant temporary protected status to nearly half a million Venezuelan migrants, giving them the ability to live and work legally in the U.S. for 18 months. That could mean a reprieve for folk like John Martin, deputy director of the Opportunity Center for the Homeless. We spoke the day after the announcement. He says more than 1,200 new migrants daily are released to organizations like his. It operates three different shelters with open-door policies. We asked how things are going. Well, in all honesty, um, all of our shelters are operating at or significantly over capacity at this point. Um, The one that I just looked at the numbers, which is the Welcome Center, and the predominant population served there are migrant families. Uh, We're approaching 170 again for a facility that can comfortably handle about 120. So if I'm doing the math and I don't have a calculator in front of me, that's about a we're operating about 40, 45 percent over capacity. How are you able to do that? Where are people sleeping? What, What are they eating? Well, I think the predominant issue for us is all of our shelters, with the exception of with the elderly and the frail population, it's a mats on the floor type concept. Uh, That does give you a little bit more flexibility. And as far as meal service, uh, each and every individual is provided three meals a day. Uh, Typically, it's a cold breakfast, possibly a cold or hot lunch, with followed by a hot dinner. Uh, So really, the the feeding service or our food service category comes into play with each of the different facilities. So the food is coming from donations or or where, where is it coming from? Well, it's a variety of areas. I will tell you that we get a lot of support from our local food bank, which is the El Paso ones fighting hunger. Uh, we do have community support as well. And typically each of these initiatives have some funding coming in uh, as far as grant funding. And so I do have a line item in those uh, agreements uh, to purchase food if necessary. Uh, so it's really sort of a three-way source. I know that your organization deals with the unhoused. Is there a point where you're not going to be able to help the unhoused who are not migrants, right? I mean, where where are they going for help these days? Well, they're still coming to us. And I have to admit uh, that we ran into that difficulty back in December of 2022. What I'm seeing today, I tend to refer to as our third wave. The first wave being December of 2022, The second wave being just prior to the lifting of Title 42, which was in May of 2023, and now what we're seeing today. Um, I recall evenings back uh, in December of 2022, for example, within our men's shelter, which should be around 120 to 150 comfortably, where we had 310 in the building. Um, And the lessons learned at that time is that when the the local homeless, or what we tend to refer to as the home free. So if you hear me use those terms interchangeably, okay, you use the term unhoused. You know, they would come in and just see such a large mass of people. And even though they weren't asked to leave, you know, they simply didn't want to go into a mix. It would be like you and I walking into an overcrowded area Mm -hmm. as we work through it. So what we've done and we've implemented is we look very closely at the number of individuals served and we've developed relationships within the community so that if we are do have a large number of our local home-free population, we're able to refer the migrant population to other facilities. Mm-hmm. The true test will become November, December when the temperatures start to drop. I've got to ask, I read somewhere that something like 86% of the people that you are serving are Venezuelan. Is that right? 
Uh, that is correct. And that's actually a number. That number is current as of about three days ago, because I remember looking at that. And uh, But 86% of the population we serve is Venezuelan. And uh, then we probably have about a dozen other countries of origin. Uh, the one that caught me a little by surprise recently is that we saw some individuals from Peru, which has not been typical for us, but possibly for other areas, and then uh, some from the Congo. So occasionally you see a few others that are sort of thrown in. But okay. that Venezuelan population has its own complexity, for lack of a better term, for the most part. And there's always exceptions, but I would say a vast majority of them are unresourced. And we use that term to delineate them as not having the financial resources to continue their travels within the United States. And that's what's also sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, exasperating the current crisis that we have is that we're seeing longer stays within the shelter system. You know, a typical stay uh, for a migrant is typical no more than two, maybe three days. Um, I've seen that number double, and I've seen average stays of about six days. Um, and there's always extremes uh, within those averages, but they just don't have those financial resources to travel. And I hate using this term, but I haven't come up with a different term, but they're sort of stuck here, for lack of a better term. And so that's what's also aggravating the current crisis with the large number of folks coming in, the need for an extended stay because of the lack of resources. Uh, those are really the two key issues. I wonder whether you think that the announcement from the Biden administration and that it's going to it's going to grant nearly half a million Venezuelan migrants temporary protective status. It's basically giving them the ability to live and work in the U.S. legally. Do you think that's going to help mitigate some of this? I would hope so. And I'm going to be quite honest with you. I heard the announcement on uh, local channels uh, as I was having my first cup of coffee, and I really haven't been able to dig into it um, as of yet. But we have been strong advocates for over a year now for expedited work authorization. And so if that's really taken into account, I think it's a positive ID. I shouldn't say a positive issue um, as it relates to the Venezuelan population, because the other countries of origin, when we do see them, they do tend to have resources and they're able to travel on uh, within the United States. So but what do they mean by? expedited authorization? I don't know. Are we talking a matter of days, a matter of weeks, or a matter of months? I just don't have that level of uh, detail at this point. I'm curious, John, when you when you speak to the people that are that are coming through looking for help, what are they saying to you? How are, how are they feeling? Are they desperate? Are they terrified? I would say that, um, well, obviously, they're coming from a desperate situation, and they've gone through a very traumatic, for the most part, travels to be able to get here. Um, and if you're familiar with El Paso, one of the things that you'll see during the evening hours is we have a large lit star on the side of the mountain. And the migrants themselves tell us that when they see that star, they now have hope. And so they're able to cross. And I will tell you that a vast majority, if, and most recently all, of the individuals that we do see have been processed uh, through CBP. So they have the appropriate documentation to stay within the United States until such time as their hearing is done. But, you know, they're a little bit reticent from the standpoint that we sort of have to break through a little bit to find out a little more detail. Um, and that's really because of their desperation. Um, we have heard stories of individuals traveling for months, if not a month, 
Uh, we've all seen recent reports of the trains coming into Ciudad Juarez, which is our sister city to the south of the border, and that's happening daily. And so I don't know if I personally could do what they do, to be quite honest with you. It takes a lot of courage. I Just one more question. Is there anything that the general public could do to help organizations like yours that are trying to help people just get back on their feet and have someplace more permanent to live? Well, there are several ways they can help. I'm at... Uh, as far as local organizations, we're always looking for volunteers. Uh, there's volunteer opportunities. For example, if I can give our kitchen staff some time off, and let's say we have a local church that comes in and provides dinner for the evening. Uh, but in all honesty, one of the big issues is the almighty dollar. And I don't mean to glorify it at this point. But the reality of it is we do have a large amount of community support and having those financial resources allows us to sort of cover the, the gap. Um, let's say I've got a large number of infants and I need a number of diapers or baby-related issues. But having that is really critical to being able to move forward. Um, and we're incredibly grateful for the support that we've seen over the last year. We've been doing this now since August of 2022. And we didn't get into this knowingly, if I, if that's a correct term that I want to use. We've been here for close to 30 years. We've always focused on the local home free population. We have an open door policy. In fact, our mission statement very clearly indicates that we work with all homeless, regardless of their individual characteristics. And so we just sort of got into the middle of this uh, through happenstance. I'm not even sure if that's the correct term. I meant it just when you have an open door policy, you want to welcome all, all of a sudden, all of them are here. That's John Martin at the Opportunity Center for the Homeless in El Paso. Coming up in San Diego, one giant step for put upon sea lions. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. If you have some big bucks burning a hole in your pocket and you're a fan of the Rolling Stones or jazz or books, CBS's Ian Lee has an auction you might want to check out. Pieces of music history are going under the hammer. Christie's in London is selling more than 500 items belonging to late Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts. You know, this is a sale where there are things for jazz collectors, for book collectors, but also anyone who's really interested in the history of the 20th century and the history of music in general. Watts joined the Stones in 1963 and played until his death in 2021. But this collection isn't what you might expect from a rock legend. He was quite a reluctant rock star. You know, he was far more interested in his intellectual pursuits from the mad world of rock and roll. He loved jazz and kept sheet music from the biggest names in the business. The greats of jazz are represented, from Louis Armstrong to Billie Holiday to Charlie Watts' own favorite musician of all time, Charlie Parker. But books make up the bulk of the collection, like one about London as a Christmas gift signed by Mick Jagger. And the most valuable item, a first edition copy of F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, with an inscription by the author expected to fetch up to $400,000. That's a real personal favorite of my own and I think of Charlie's as well. It's a book that defined the jazz age. The live auction happens in London next week, but you can bid online to own a piece of history from the man called the heartbeat of the Rolling Stones.
Ian Lee, CBS News, London. It's over a month before Halloween, but a Louisiana man has people wanting to send him to the H-word over a front yard display a haunted house fan might love. There's a church, dead people, of course a bit of blood, and oh yeah, there's also Jesus and Satan. WWL-TV's Lily Cummings with the scary tale. This is our church here. Vic Mirana has been building this Halloween display by hand for a year. These are our parishioners here. Miorana says their Bucktown home turns heads every year, but this time... So we have a little religious theme here. It's also sparked controversy. We wanted to make people scared to make them a little uncomfortable. We have no interest of inciting violence and we have no bias against the church. We're both raised Catholic. But some Bucktown neighbors were shocked. My two two children that are in high school and Catholic school uh, in the area drove told me, Mom, did you see what was around the corner? And I said, no. The decorations depict a beheaded Jesus flanked by a nun and priest. Jesus's head is in the hands of Satan. It's appalling. In a word, it's blasphemy. These Metairie residents say they want the decorations removed. And I understand everybody has, I love freedom of speech. That's what we all here for. That's what makes this country great. But we have freedom of speech as well. And I feel like we needed to, to express our opinion as well. Code enforcement visited the property on Monday. Parish President Cynthia Lee Shang said in a statement, quote, we are not aware of any local ordinances that specifically address this type of situation. However, this neighborhood display is clearly offensive and certainly not in the spirit of a family-friendly Jefferson Parish Halloween. The neighbor next door said he doesn't see any issue with the decorations. Every year he goes way overboard on trying to make these displays. Everybody seems to like it, except a few people. Miorana says they don't reflect the family's personal or religious beliefs. It's just for fun. But some neighbors say the theme went too far. I'm all about Halloween. I decorate. We all have scary stuff. This just is crossing the line. If this isn't your particular cup of tea, you know, maybe pick a different street to walk down on Halloween. Here's a less frightening story from Minnesota, unless you're a fish. WCCO-TV's John Lauritsen tells us in the land of 10,000 lakes, there are also some gorgeous rivers where you don't need a boat. It's the beauty of the area, the rolling hills, the farmers' fields, the root river. Fillmore County is one of those places that makes you feel like you're home no matter where you're from. There are plenty of sights, sounds, and business. But while most people drive to work, Tim Carver walks. Instead of wearing a suit and carrying a laptop, he wears waders and carries a fishing pole. And his office just happens to be the Root River. Come on, little buddies. There we go. Come on, baby. Tim is the head guide for Driftless Fly Fishing Company in Preston. The word driftless has a lot to do with why anglers near and far come to this small town. Thousands of years ago, glaciers that were drifting across the continent essentially stopped here. We joke because a lot of people make fun of us and say that Minnesota and Iowa is really flat, but that's because they don't go to this part of the country where we run into those 150, 200 foot beautiful limestone bluffs that run along the rivers down here. The bluffs and mineral deposits have created a fly fishing paradise for brook trout, brown trout, and rainbow trout. The fly is what Tim uses for bait. They're made to look like mayflies and other insects that trout 
can't resist. You got to be a bug expert a little bit. A little bit. We're using the weight and the line to get the rod to bend and load, and that's what sends the fly and propels the fly forward and back. The cast is all on the wrist. It's like a pitcher trying to throw into a strike zone. There are advantages and disadvantages to fly fishing in crystal clear water. Come on, fishies. You can see the fish. There you go. Perfect, perfect. But they can also see you. They're the most visually developed fish on the planet. They have three times as many rods and cones in their eyes as we do. Accuracy does matter. Uh, I got Tim. Otherwise, you're bound to catch firewood. Look at that. Not fish. Beautiful. I think it's an ash. <laughs> Ash or part of a maple. There we go. Tim makes it look easy. Ah, get out of the weeds, buddy. And because this part of the river rarely freezes over. Come here, buddy. He'll be out here in January. Standing literally in the middle of nature. Not a bad way to spend a work day. Could do this for hours, man. It never gets old. It's like a little victory when you catch that fish that flipped you the fin six, seven times in a row. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you lost. <laughs> ah, I'll get another one. Finally, a giant step for some sea lions being harassed by overzealous fans with grabby hands and smartphones. One California city has got their backs. <laughs> that sounds pretty friendly, but most folk would think twice about approaching anything making this sound. Yep, it's a sea lion, and San Diego is shutting down Point La Jolla Beach, where they rest, mate, and raise their young. The city says visitors would approach the wild animals, try and take selfies and touch them, which led to some dangerous encounters. Conservation groups applaud the move, saying it also protects the site for seabirds and plants, but some worry that other public beaches could be closed. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor and Alan Pang provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts starting May 8th. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts starting May 1st.